Hey everybody, and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. Good evening, everybody. It's September 1st. Welcome to No One Fights Alone. I'm Josh with Austin, and tonight we've got a special guest from Oklahoma, Brad Shepard, and we are excited to have a conversation with him for the next little while. We appreciate you all being dialed in and, and listening to what uh, his story and his experiences are going to be. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've known each other for a little over two years now. Uh, it's been a hot minute. I mean, back when I was doing some nonprofit work, I'd say probably longer than go than that. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited because I haven't heard your story either. I mean, I know bits and pieces. Sure. But I'm really excited to to hear some of your experiences, you know, your strength and hope, all of those things. Yeah. Because I think uh, in this community, we don't hear a lot about the successes. We hear about people that have failed or gone through, got fired, whatever it may be. And, and so I really want to spread to the audience today your message of pushing through adversity and coming out the other end so open it up let's hear it well first let me just say um i I, as much as i appreciate that i i want to actually offer up the fact that success is contingent upon the next second minute and day right uh i'm an alcoholic i'm brad i'm an alcoholic which means success is only contingent upon my motives and for this next moment in time. Right. Um, if there's like, if I've learned anything, you know, you're, you are what you think and you let your thoughts go south. You're everything about who you are is going to go south. So I, I just think it's important that I get, I get a little weird when you say, yeah, your success story. Yeah. Jury's out. Right. It's success story. Present tense. Right. Yeah. I I will say I've worked hard to get where I'm at. I I can safely tell that. So let me just say this. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, I'm honored to be here uh, with Chief and Austin. And and man, Brad Shepard, retired Oklahoma State Trooper, retired at captain level. Uh, I'm really proud of that. Uh, I was proud of uh, the rank that I achieved in my career and success. I did 25 years. Uh, with the Oklahoma High Patrol. Through the course of my career, um, I had a lot of fun times. I did a lot of great things. Um, I was always an adventurer of sorts. Uh, I never said no to an assignment. So if somebody asked me to come work for them, you know, count me in. I'm in. Um, I got to do tag team stuff. I got to do, I was a full-time bomb tech. Went through uh, Redstone uh, Arsenal out in Huntsville, Alabama. They trained me up uh, to blow stuff up. That was a lot of fun. Uh, did a tour of duty through Homeland Security. Um, uh, drug interdiction, which I wasn't very good at, but I was a lieutenant there. So, um, but I just I got to do a lot of cool, cool things and uh, serve my community, serve my state well for 25 years. Part of my journey with uh, the Oklahoma High Patrol was the loss of some partners and some of the, the trauma that comes with that um, to, to kind of keep that abbreviated part of that uh, 
trauma piece was what started uh, my part of my drinking. But I really did some uh, did some intervention with it, EMDR, and did some therapy, and really thought I was actually getting healthy and was giving back. I got trained in CISM, so I became part of this peer support community. Um, part of the part of the drinking piece, <clears throat> I'll kind of jump ahead uh, because. Um, I didn't go to Chateau until much later, and but I am going to jump ahead here. Part of this, part of this drinking piece was uh, really through the course of learning my trauma and feeling like I was getting healthy about that. I was actually uh, deceiving myself and and lying to myself in a lot of ways. So I just want to paint a paint a picture that that's the road that I'm actually traveling on at the time and didn't even realize it wasn't even really it's being that honest. If with I myself. talk about it, it doesn't apply to me. Like I can. Right. Teach right. you about it, and I can understand you about it, but let's not talk about me here. I'm not going to talk about me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and on some levels, um, maybe I was lying to myself enough that I actually was convinced myself of my own lies. Like, no, I'm good. I'm healthy. But I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm, and the people who are close to me, my wife, my kids, they know. They know I'm not. But through the tail end of my career, I'd actually... Um, was getting promoted in leadership positions. I was part of the peer support community. I loved that community. I actually loved helping other people. Um, when I retired, I'd actually uh, worked on starting building a nonprofit uh, that actually worked in the peer support community. And when I retired, I actually uh, left to run that nonprofit full time. It was a national profit nonprofit that worked in the uh, peer support community. We did a lot of great work. Um, my, my career was, I was having a ball. My wife, uh, when I retired in 2018, I retired in January, 2018 in the spring of 2018, right after I retired, my, my wife started getting sick and it was not a, it was not a life or death sickness, but it was a life altering quality of life, altering illness. And as such, through the course of the next few months uh, to a year, uh, recognized that she was going to have to take a leave of absence, which ended up being permanent leave of absence from her work where she could no longer work. So she's uh, the quality of life that she was living um, up to and including the home we actually lived in was detrimental to her health. So we ended up leaving our home. So, so, so let me pause for a minute and just do a mental health moment. Loss is one of the most significant, impactful, emotional deterrents to your quality of life. I kind of knew this already, but I didn't realize some of the impact that those losses were going to make on my life. So tag back into my story. Now, if we go back to 2018, I have theoretically lost a career. I've given it up. And not lost as in, you know, I don't know where it's at. I'm just, I've disconnected. And there's a major, major um, impact on people who retire. And if you're not prepared for that, uh, especially in the law enforcement or first responder game, if you're not prepared for that, um, it hits you pretty hard. Even if you are prepared for that, it still is very impactful. Yeah. What I think it is, Brad, is I think it's a loss of momentum. You're in this high-speed, supercharged career. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in your easy chair for lack of a better word. And it's like, my momentum's gone. 
and I can't find anything to fill that. So, so agree. And including uh, the connection to the people you're around, right? That's a brotherhood, sisterhood, as it were, of, of people that now you're, you're, and I was still working in the community. It was just different. Yeah. So I've lost, um, uh, on certain levels, I've lost now an income. I've lost a, a job. My wife's losing her, her health. Um, we ended up having to sell our home, but we've been in that home for 19 years. It was a home that I loved. So, but that was a loss. Check that. I mean, I know this now at the time I think, well, why are you getting sappy about this house? Right. You made money on this house. The house market was taken off. It doesn't matter. What I know now is that was a loss to me. I lost, there were certain aspects of that house that we lost. So I'm chalking up these losses. And in the meantime, while this is happening, I'm serving well in this peer support community and giving back to this law enforcement culture and racking these losses up and this emotional pain just continues to scoop on heaping coals onto my life. And my natural outlet is just to drink a little bit more, right? I'll just continue to drink. I uh, continue to, you know, I've got to keep that stiff upper lip, keep working hard, keep nose to the grindstone. And then the outlet being, you know, I can talk to some people, but that doesn't, that doesn't get rid of the pain. I don't, in fact, I don't even know what the, what is causing some of my pain, right? Yeah. These losses, I haven't quite put all those pieces of the puzzle together yet. So in, uh, through the course of this, trying to build this nonprofit organization, and you know that was a a, a significant blow to our monetary income. Uh, you know, and, and as much as you want to say, hey, you're doing this for the right reasons, sometimes that doesn't even pay the bills, right? So that's all that's all piling up on me as well. <clears throat> and uh, so through the through this goes on through uh, the course of 2020, COVID hits. That has a detrimental impact on the nonprofit community, right? Everybody's tightens the belt a little mm-hmm. bit. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to give. So now I'm, now we're struggling on this business, even though it's a 501 C three, it's a business. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were being really successful, but in the meantime for the business, now the need for our 501 C three is increasing with, you know, all the things that are happening in law enforcement, but the income is deteriorating oh, because yeah. of COVID and what is what do I do? Just keep drinking, man. Right? I just increase my drinking a little more, a little more, and a little more. Um, it is already even before I retired. Um, I was drinking quite a bit, but um, in 2021, it came to a head, and my friends did an intervention on me, and ended up going to Chateau. That was August, middle of August in 2021. And I arrived to Chateau um, a like a um, caged animal, like a cornered, injured, scared caged animal. And I was a piece of work to deal with. I tell people my there was out of the, all the time that I spent at Chateau, the first four or five days were not pleasant. Everything after that was absolutely fabulous and amazing. But those first few days were absolutely horrific. I've apologized several times to the staff at Chateau. Yeah. Uh, and I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, people who go you know. you got to bounce off the floor. Yeah. You haven't necessarily fallen all the, the way to the floor. And, and yeah. it's fear. 
It's mm-hmm. loss of control. Mm-hmm. It's <clears throat> excuse me. It's fear. It's loss of control. It's it's this it's this illusion of you know I'm I, I'm I'm captured now. What? You well, know, it is. I've, it's I'm, you're using your analogy of you know you're this cornered animal. Well, your reaction is Chateau those first couple of days. That's what that's the reaction of the animal. And now that he's cornered, and we throw the net on him. Yeah. You know, and now he's got to fight with that net on him until he finally just gives up. And it's like I'm caught. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we were, uh, I was out at Chateau. I'll talk a little bit here in just a minute, but I, but you know, that the team invited me, Austin, his team invited me out to, uh, um, speak and, and hang out as an alumni with some of the folks at Chateau and had an amazing day. And, and maybe if we have an opportunity, I'll talk about, about that a little bit later. But, um, one of the things that we were talking about today was, you know, this caged animal bit and throwing a fit and saying, you know, F you, I'm not staying. But then the cold, hard reality is, where am I going to go? You know, I literally have backed myself into a corner. And people at home are like, you ain't coming home. Now where? Now what are you going to do? Now where are you going to go? And I had no option but to actually lean into it. So for those first few days, that was part of my leaning into, okay, I'm going to stay, but I'm not going to like it. And I'll make you all pay. And I'm gonna make you all suffer. I'm gonna get my money's worth out of it. I'm, okay, I'm gonna get my money's worth out of it. <laughs> I mean, I knew driving you up. Oh man, that was gonna be the case. Say it again. I knew driving driving you up. That was gonna be the case. Yeah. Because you talked to me for all of about two minutes, and uh, I remember you on the phone, and I'm just kind of quietly listening, like, "This is gonna be fun." He has no idea what's coming. Yeah. I remember that ride. I remember even then trying to coordinate and control things in my life uh, on the ride up, and I had no idea what was coming. So, and and part of my journey now is about surrender and the impact of that word. Um, I had no idea what that word meant. I I still to this day I'm still even though I have a better living definition of what that word is today. I'm still learning what that word is, but that word, I had no comprehension. You were a warrior. Words don't surrender. Never. That's never antithesis of everything you were for 25 years. Yeah. So, uh, coming into the Chateau, the first few days, um, I was, uh, I was hell bent on figuring out a way to control, everything about um, my existence there and also figure out a way how to how to leave. Like, okay, joke's on y'all. I'm going to stay a few days. We'll get squared up. Good to go, and I'm out of here. And that, uh, that only lasted long enough for me to run into uh, to Stacy and his uh, one of his exercises, which uh, the Knight in Rusty Armor, um, which ran me full force into my own self-worth and, and almost a self-awareness of, man, you're really kind of effed up. And, and what was happening really was this, you know, hey, check me out of life just for a minute, right? Like, and I've told people several times, going to Chateau... And I may be oversimplifying it. I may be cop dumbing this thing down, right? But going to Chateau was like just for a moment in time in your life hitting the hard reset button. Like you have the opportunity at Chateau 
to like mulligan, mm-hmm. do over. I mean, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful, but you got a hard do over here. And the wake of, you know, whatever you did to terrorize your life prior to that, you still got to clean all that up. Right. But you're going to live with it anyway. Mm-hmm. You were, you were just, ma- I, I was just masking a lot of that. Right. So I was starting to lean into the fact that, Hey, I might have an opportunity to hit a hard reset. Maybe, maybe I am kind of effed up. Maybe, maybe there's some, something, maybe I could take the opportunity because, because now I was actually figuring out, you know what? I'm not, I don't have anywhere to go. I'm not going anywhere. My wife doesn't want me back. You know, my kids are stay put. Dad, get healthy. I mean, my, my kids were older. My kids are 25 and 27. They were, what, 20, 23 and 25 at the time. And everybody, including the people that I worked with, were like, you're not, you're not leaving. This is important. You're, it's time for you to, to start looking in the mirror. Oh. So my time at Chateau, sorry, go ahead. How many people had you put into a treatment center? Oh, right. man. Yeah. Um, Dozens and dozens of people I've helped go into treatment centers. And I, I mean, I knew all about how to get people into and why they should. I just was never honest with myself about, you know, Ben and I today were kind of laughing a little bit about that, um, you know, that, that piece of, I was really good at helping other people get in there. I was terrible at looking in the mirror and being honest with myself about what that really was like in my own life well and yeah. and it's not just that man in the mirror reflection piece it's you know in the in the sphere you were in particularly once you've transitioned into this you know the the nonprofit world where you're helping people i mean tell us about how much did that the pressure to hide the real you increase where you know if you're on the road or you're meeting with people that need the same thing you need and and the realization that hey I'm going to spend my whole day exhorting and counseling and, and influencing, but then I'm going to go back to my hotel or my home or whatever, and I'm going to medicate myself, and and I've got to hide that because the moment anybody knows that I'm as effed up as they am, this gig is up. Yeah. So you bring such a great, insightful perspective that most people don't ask me about which is this balance, this crazy balance of trying to keep my drinking in check the way I want to drink, the way I feel like I need to drink and keep it hidden and keep it subdued. There was a a very close personal friend made a comment to me after I got back, immediately after I got back that said, you sure did hide it well. I worked with this person. Yeah. You sure did hide it well. I know I did. I worked really hard at hiding it well. Professional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was the best. Very few times did it ever leak out. And when it did, people. I remember people looking at me like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? A couple people called me out on it. Read. Are you drinking too much? But very few few people ever really leaned in and said, man, you got a problem. You need help. You need to go get checked, right? Because in our culture, right, Chief, that's a no-no. You don't, you don't 
do those things. You don't push the button. You don't push the button. Yeah. Because I got my own shit I'm worried about. Mm-hmm. I got my own stuff. If I push the button on you, you might push the button on me. Mm-hmm. That's generally the way it goes. In the meantime, your perspective of this, uh, I was really good about, I was a good trooper, right? Don't drink on duty. Yeah. Don't drink and drive. But boy, when he's off duty, don't call me. I didn't mm-hmm. answer the phone. I travel a lot, which means, you know, all, all these cities that I was regulars at, Denver, Sacramento, Washington, D.C., Chicago. I go to the same hotel. I knew I knew all the, I, I knew exactly what time even a lot of those liquor stores would close in that immediate area. of. I mean, it was just, you know, classic yeah. alcoholic stuff. I got my favorite restaurant. I got my favorite liquor store. All of, all yeah. of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was even proud of the fact that I would go to dinner and not like you and I might meet up in Chicago. We'll go to dinner. Right. I don't drink. I don't, I don't drink with you. I go back to the hotel and drink because mm-hmm. I don't want you thinking I'm drinking too much. That was just the lie that I continued to tell myself. Well, it's just that imperative that I hide this from the world. Right. Everything's on the line. I had no idea how exhausting that was. And I'm glad that you brought it up at the time until I later realized and actually kind of had that <sighs> I mean just kind of that moment you're like that was exhausting it was an exhausting way to live just wear you out to balance all those plates keep everything hidden uh, so yeah great question great point great great perspective that most people miss uh, of how detrimental that was to just the longevity of your life and how exhausting it was. But in the meantime, um, coming in Chateau, really just taking a moment to um, slow my life down each day. Just got a little bit easier, but man, I was a fighter. I was I was fighting, kicking and gouging and God bless him. Ben Pearson's amazing uh, for just hanging with me when he should have just, he should have sent me home. Like, get out, dude. You're, you're exhausting. And love that guy for, for hanging on. I mean, being Ben Pearson, entire Chateau team, huge part of actually saving my life and me now living a life of peace. Man, I can't, I can't think of enough, but those first few days terrorizing Stacy's not through rusty armor. Um, which is, has a lot to do with self-worth anyway. I don't want to detract too much from, Am I going to get in trouble here, Austin, for talking about Not at Chateau all. stuff? Not at all. We we want people to know what those experiences are. Okay, so so that one right there, um, just just a little glimpse, was about self worth, and it was about going up in front of people and talking about some of your self worth. And man, I couldn't do it. I I mean, I thought I was a big deal. I, the illusion, right? The illusion of I'm a big deal and this ego that my ego was horrendous, but the shallowness of that, I had no idea how shallow that was. And when we really started talking about substance and Stacy has a knack for that, really, he's just gifted and really drawing it out in these, I hate to call them games, but they're, they're they exercises of, yeah. of, of humanity that he, he imposes that are just unique. Well, I mean, think about the term in itself, 
a knight in rusty armor, and it relates to first responders in themselves because in the book yeah. talks about this warrior who has worn his armor mm-hmm. for so long, yeah, it is rusted closed on him, and he can't take it off, and it's the same you know kind of mentality, yeah with you guys when you've been doing this for 25 years you've had this armor on and it's rusted shut and that's that's the job of that workshop is to bust that armor open well it did it it did it for me and the exposing was um how little i thought of myself now the real the true um the true warrior actually spends a lot of time looking within and the true warrior actually spends a lot of time being honest with himself. And I just was not, um, that's what I aspire to now. And it's, it's hard, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but at the meantime, that self-worth piece kept me coming back to the table at Chateau. And after that exercise in humanity of, of, self-exposure as it were I really made a conscious decision of okay I'm stuck here I'm going to do everything in my power to make a better me and I leaned into every bit of it sign me up for all of it sign me up for Tangie's brain spotting sign me up for Jackie's EMDR sign me up for all the weird stuff that Stacy's throwing out Sign me up for Ben, man. I got sick and tired of Ben conversations up there. Sign me up, Ben. Let's have some great conversations. And man, was he, he's a beast. Love that guy. I just leaned into all of it. Um, The Wim Hof and, and ice baths and the drums, the horns, the, I mean, the, uh, just sign me up for the whole thing. And what I found was, Every time I peel back a layer of that onion at Chateau, it just was stinkier and stinkier and stinkier, but it just kept getting healthier and healthier and healthier, right? That was the revelation of sorts. In the meantime, what's happening in the background of my personal life away from Chateau is my life is becoming terrorized. I get terminated. The board... And the group associated with the nonprofit that I built decided that I was not worth fighting for. So they abandoned me, pushed back from the table and said, you know what, we're going to, uh, we're going to get rid of him. We're going to remove him from his position. The dream that I had built and put into effect basically was gone. This was happening while I was actually at Chateau. My sick spouse um, was part of that nonprofit, significantly a part of that nonprofit, and they pushed back from her as well and basically said, hey, we don't want anything to do with either one of you. We want both of you away from this nonprofit. What it felt like to me was we're ashamed of you. Bingo. We're embarrassed by you. And not just, that message was not just sent to me. It was sent to my wife, my children, my entire family. If there was anything that my boys got sideways over, because they're pretty protective of Odad, right? 
was that right there. And they, the hurt and pain they felt over that was tremendous, Mm -hmm. which was impactful to my wife, was impactful to me. So in the meantime, I'm balancing this, hey, there's some cool things that I'm starting to look within and starting to be honest with, with the guy in the mirror. But these also things happening at home that, you know, I'm stuck here. I don't have that phone, so I don't have, I don't know what's going on. No control. No control. No control. No control. Your immediate vicinity. Like if you can't touch it, you can't control it. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about that for just a second, chief. If you were just taken completely lifted to a remote Island but you're hearing glimpses of how your agencies could turn into a shit show. Mm-hmm. Think about the impact that would have or for the audience, you know, you as an audience, just think for a second. You're just, Hey, by the way, we're going to completely remove you from whatever you care most about and start completely dismantling it and doing away with it. That was what I felt like was happening to me. So there was this odd well, no, it was not odd. It was horrible roller coaster of emotions. I remember breaking down in Jackie's office one day about, I'm here. She said, Why are you here? That's what I instigated the entire roller coaster of emotions that day. Why are you here? I'm here to get healthy. For who? For my wife, my, my company. This is Jackie. Bullshit. Um, sorry, my sh- no. I want you to share cut. it all. I'm I'm <laughs> sitting here smiling. I know people can't can't tell, but is this a PG show? No. We never say those words, but you go ahead. Okay, yeah. I and Jackie, to put explicit. God, God love Jackie, right? She <laughs> she's like bullshit. Why are you here? And what the to frame that out where she was going with this was: Are you doing this for you? Well, the, the issue that I was running full bore into was: I'm not worth that. I'm not worth actually being here. I'm not worth what these people are pouring into me. Look what actually my friends are doing. Their message is I'm not worth it. But my family's saying I'm worth it. So all these things, these just these crazy mix of so your evaluation, your your internal stock market, so to speak, is just going up and down, all up and down. Over the map. You know, if I'm looking at this stock, I'm worth this. But if I'm looking all at the taken and it's just like I don't know what to do with myself. You have no control over it. None. It's like you feel it. You feel the effects, but it's like, how do I stop this stock from diving? Yeah. You know, and why can't I just ride the waves? And and you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. I'm almost scared to check in with home or work or anything else (laughs) because, you know, I'll just stick with being able to control how many pieces of toilet paper I use and how much chicken I ate at dinner. Because other than that, it's like, there's just too much going on. It was so comical uh, at, at, at times that, I mean, Ben and I were almost laughing. Like, Ben would, literally would laugh. So, okay. Here's another part of the story that's that's funny. That Ben actually chuckled, came by and threw me a threw me an envelope. Said, hey, good luck with that. And it was my reality letter that was, the envelope was like two inches thick. Oh, man. Still, to this day, I don't think I've heard anybody say they had a bigger per page reality letter than mine was that was sent. It was rough. Right. So now, so just so that the audience knows, reality letter is the cold hard truth from your loved ones. That's right. And it's fucking tough. Yep. 
and I got one. One letter that was pages and pages. She tore your ass. Ooh, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I can joke about it now, but it was rough reading it then. I'm telling you. And, and you know what, though? Chief was nothing but truth. Yeah. It was nothing but truth. I mean, you can't, you, you can't point the finger well, at anybody. Bless her for being honest. You can't, you yeah. can't blame anybody but me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm looking in the mirror going, well, that's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. That's true. You're like, oh my gosh. So now, right, it's all things point to the guy in the mirror over and 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 over, right? So I just continue to be blessed uh, with these staff members who come up and, you know, the, the, the series of people that helped me through the reality letter and and all these different things. that I, And at times I could almost sense they're like, I don't want to use pity, but the but their concern, their emotional connection of okay, yeah, you you definitely got it worse than most. Mm-hmm. You know, there was that. You know, all right, you. you de- this is good, but it's de- not funny. Yeah, <laughs> you're definitely getting hammered here, <laughs> yeah. right? So, I uh, I do thirty days, and actually, uh, I think it was thirty two days, mm-hmm. and actually, it was really encouraged to stay. And truth be told, I even told him today when I went out uh, as the little um, conversation piece I told him today, I said, if if I knew then what I know now, I would have stayed. I hear that. It's fair. 99%. All the time, don't you? 99%. I would, I would guess that. But there was so many unknowns. There was so much coming at me. There was so much all the time. And, and money, right? I'm... I'm I'm still trying to earn a living for not just me, but my family. I mean, I'm costing money while I'm there. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these things were, you know, I want to get healthy, but I want to be out there. I want to stay here and, and, and do what the right thing is. But also, I mean, I've got an obligation to earn a living from, I mean, all these things were just flooding out. I'm like, okay. Um, and Ben even said to man, just give me seven more days. I'm like, Mm-mm, I'm out 32 days, max. I'm out. We're, we're going home. And, Right. And I, I know, but it's just from personal experience, having walked that path, I would say, man, if I had it to do over again, I, I because yeah. there was some, fa- they asked me the question today about some phase work that was internal in there. I'm like, hmm, some of that phase work I didn't even finish because my, my, it was just so messed up. A lot of my stuff was so messed up. So I leave out of Chateau. Uh, I come back to no work. Um, my wife's just completely, um, distraught over, you know, she's been abandoned by this, this group of people we thought were our friends. Um, and you know, truth be told, I think maybe somewhere in there, they thought they were doing the right thing, but they have, they had no idea the impact they had on her, on me, my wife, my world, my life. They, they just terrorized us. Completely terrorized us. So when I come back, I leave uh, September. I think I'm back September 21. And that end of September, um, entering into October and November, were some of the darkest months I've ever had in my life. Now, it's important to note, though, leaving out of there, my goal was very much recovery. I was bound and determined to live a life of recovery. 
I was bound and determined to finish what I started at Chateau. I'm a, you don't quit anything Mm -hmm. kind of guy. So I had caught a glimpse of some things at Chateau that were absolutely amazing about getting healthy. And I wanted to, I wanted to keep that going. So I didn't know anything about, I actually entered into, um, AA community, Alcoholics Anonymous community and the Celebrate Recovery community at the same time. Not really knowing what either one of them were. Because uh, one of the things that actually about Chateau uh, was that, you know, they, they teach you, they give you a show of all things and don't really encourage any one specific thing because I want to leave it open. Right? Is that fair, Austin? Yeah. Because they want to leave it open to where, hey, we don't want to necessarily drill it down because we don't know what's best for you. We want to make that opportunity for you. Is that fair? Yeah. That, I, that's what I felt. That's exactly what it is. So I didn't actually have any real um, insight or input or guidance when it came to what's the recovery. Matter of fact, I think you and I actually had a conversation. I think Thayer and I had a conversation about it. That Saturday. It was. We sat for two and a half hours. Yeah. And it was, what does AA AA look like? Is it because you hear so many terrible things about AA and it has such a negative connotation. Well, here, if there's anything about this, Chief, that you're going to hear out of this, that I would love to say to this audience in this podcast is AA community is one of the most amazing loving, accepting communities I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of some cool, cool teams, mm-hmm. cool, cool groups. And the AA recovery community, amazing. Those are people who have paid their dues to be there. They didn't, Holy they cow. Didn't, there's no kissing somebody's ass or taking the fast pass or anything nope. like that. It's like, these are people that paid a significant price to be there. Was it Sun Tzu that said the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Yeah. Is that a Sun Tzu? That, so I got to say him. one thing. Uh, say that Those again. Those listening, did anyone give a shit that you were a cop? None. Matter of fact, my uh, my AA home group, um, I love telling this story. So um, I'm kind of fast forwarding here, but my AA group, my home group um, there in uh, Edmond, Oklahoma, when I first got there, they were coming out of COVID, so they didn't have any new people. I was the first new guy that they'd had in a while, and they were like white on rice, man. Ooh, new guy. Mm-hmm. And there was seven core dudes in there, one of them 49 years sober, one of them 23 years sober, one of them 17, the other one 14, seven and five years sober. These dudes have been sober for a hot minute, and they were ready to impart some sobriety on to a new guy, and they wore me out. So, I I walked in there. I'm like, cop. I'm a cop. Hey, it doesn't matter. We love you. Come on. Yeah. And that's the big thing that I want you to impart on people who are listening who are f- afraid to go to AA. Because I, I hear that all the time. I cannot go because I'm a cop. Uh, yeah. I cannot go because I've taken those people to jail or, or whatever it is. And that may be the case sometimes. But I want people to hear your experience from it and how loving and welcoming they were. I absolutely will tell you my home group is 100% hands down, nothing but love. Now that doesn't mean they're coming in there all huggy huggy and Hey, you're going to get your way. No, they, they, there is a way to do AA and there's a way not to do AA, And they're going to show you that they're going to say, this is it. 
Now, I do think it's important to note that there, I have been to some AA meetings that are, you know, you can find some that are, but look, it's, it's not hard. Pick up the phone, call Brad Shepard, say, hey, find me a meeting that would be good for a cop. Okay, done. Done. I'll do it. Call me. Uh, find me a meeting in Atlanta. Okay. Find me a meeting in Nevada. Okay. Done. We can, so I'm, tra- so part of the, I'm, I know I'm jumping ahead, but part of this, what I'm doing back in the traveling game, back in the nonprofit game again, and I'm traveling. So step 12 is practice these principles in all my affairs. Part of that practicing my principles is attending meetings in these cities that I'm going to. And I have yet, I've missed one city, but everywhere else I've called ahead and said, Hey, where's the good meeting? Where's the big book meeting? I don't want the speaker meeting. I don't want these fluffy feel good meetings where they just, it's, it's hug a bear stuff. I want a meeting where it's, they're going to talk truth. Here's the meetings. Everybody knows those meetings, you know? So to your point, I absolutely think, look, if you, if there's a stigma, if anybody out there is hearing a stigma that, Hey, I can't go to a meeting cause I'm a cop. I'm here to tell you, they do not care. The true AA community does not care. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, one of the, I've had several experiences uh, like that where you find a whole new depth and meaning to your your career as a police officer when you discuss uh, that intersection in in life where here's their intersection with the their their experience with the cops, and you're hearing them tell their first person lived experience of you know, the, this bad experience with the police and maybe how they feel wronged or anything like that. And you can listen to that and accept it and, and acknowledge sometimes that, yeah, maybe they didn't do everything exactly as they could, but you can also add a little perspective. You know, I I remember talking to a fellow that was a vet and, uh, you know, he's like, I've been in all these tours in Iraq. I pulled up to my house, this cops out in front I go to approach him and he turns on me and is just all aggressive and everything like that. I'm like, well, how do you know he wasn't in Iraq too? He's like, I don't know. How do you know he hasn't been shot too? Well, I don't know. So it's like, it sounds like two guys that are a little bit uh, <laughs> hyper alert all the time, bumping shoulders with each other and like, ah, you know, and he's like, yeah, maybe he wasn't such an asshole after all, you know? And then I, and then I tell him too. And if he would have known beforehand, that, Hey, this dude, was in was in some bad places in his recent history he probably would have approached you in a different way too but you guys didn't know each other you didn't know that and 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 just how many times i've had that same conversation in meetings and stuff where people are just like yeah maybe you guys aren't all so bad after all but at the same time i go yeah you guys aren't so bad after all either i could not agree with you more I also, additionally, perspective, additional perspective is when your desire to do something is over, overcomes that fear of what if they think I'm a cop, you can do it. And that's what, that's actually what happened to me. I walked in there thinking my need for recovery in this community is greater than my fear of what they're going to think of it about me. Now, having said that, 
I challenge that there's probably, we probably use that as an excuse a lot Mm -hmm. to not do what we should be doing. Yeah. Not, not all the time. And I'm not, but I mean, again, we're talking about being honest with the person in the mirror. I'm going to tell you, I use that excuse a lot. I don't want to go out. I don't want people looking at me. I don't want to do this. It's a good excuse to stay home and drink. It's a good excuse to get our way. It's a good excuse to point being my desire to get healthy at that moment in my life far outweighed what they thought of me as a cop because I wasn't just a cop. I was a broken human. Mm-hmm. You're not, it's not captain Shepard showing up to your meeting. It's Brad. That's right. Yeah. And guess what? They loved me. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it was an amazing, amazing AA group. So kind of back to my timeline story. How are we doing on time? We, Dude, we, we doing good. As much time as, um, so that was coming out. I connected with that group, those seven dudes. Now was, there was more coming, kind of coming and going, but that was my core group. And, and those seven core dudes had me for about two months all by themselves. Right. And they were like, man, we're going to work you over. And did they ever, which completely bought me. I was all bought in still this day. I'm a guy. Love that community. Amazing. Big book forever. Uh, I, promises are coming true right anybody anybody want to know what that actually means just come see me page 83 and 84 right i I know what they mean (laughs) so those promises are being lived out to me today true so in the meantime this little but there was a darkness that was waving over me in uh, end of september october and first of november and it was a really really dark, heavy, probably a couple of the darkest months in my life ever because I was actually running full bore into my own pain and the terrorism that I'd committed on my life, my personal life, my work life, my, all these things. Right. And I felt abandoned. I felt, um, people had turned their backs on me. Actually, I didn't have to go people had turned their backs on me. Um, people that I had trusted, people that I knew personally, uh, and had given my confidence in said, you're not worth that for whatever reason. Now, in the meantime, this was actually working in my favor of getting healthy. I didn't know this at the time, but it's actually working in my favor because I had the, this humongous ego thing. Well, this is just terrorizing my ego. So now I'm actually baselining out and rebuilding myself as a human being. And then it started started working the steps. I got a sponsor. It's an amazing human being. I actually kind of played a trick on myself. I said, hadn't raised his hand that he was going to be a sponsor in the meeting. He's one of the seven, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, that dude never raises his hand for be a sponsor. God, if you... If he raises his hand, I'll pick him as a sponsor. Otherwise, it's it's not meant for me to have a sponsor. Sucker raised his hand that's that very night. I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. So I meet up the guy. He's like, Yep, uh, let's go, let's go visit. He's my sponsor still today. Just talked to him uh, about about an hour before we had dinner tonight. How was the how was the talk out at Chateau? It was amazing. He just said, You burn me to the ground. I'm like, Yeah, I did. Cussed you like a sailor. The guy 
in large part helped save my life because he just spoke truth, but he spoke truth subtly and softly to me in such significant ways, but has, has helped me on the steps, the 12 step program of, of three through nine being action steps. And I'm telling you those steps that the big book or that whole thing, just amazing, amazing, amazing. Right. So I'll fast forward here. Working those steps uh, without going into great detail, I, you know, most people understand what the 12-step program is, but the stigma behind it is, oh my gosh, those are hard. Step four, you got to write down all your bad things you ever did. <laughs> that's that's not that big a deal. Step five, telling somebody else all the things, not that big a deal. I told my sponsor and my, th- I've told two people everything about my life, uh, my sponsor and my therapist. All right, and you know how freeing that actually is? It's unbelievable freeing. So that list then transforms into a list of people you're going to make amends, right? That's the, that's the ultimate, everybody knows about the steps. Oh my gosh, you got to go make apologies. Well, I looked at it a little bit different. By the time you actually get to step nine, chief, it's really not a have to thing. It's like, holy cow, this thing is transforming my life. Let's do this. I cannot wait mm-hmm. to get to this. I can't wait to get this thing done. I can feel it. I feel my life changing. Somewhere in here, God actually imparted on me, which we don't have time to really get into the whole spirituality. I mean, we probably should, shouldn't we, Austin? About getting into the spiritual nature of AA and how the the enormous depths of that's a spiritual program. I think uh, we get you on a second episode for just that. I, topic. I would love to talk about that because we don't have time to yeah. talk about how great that is. We can spend an hour on spiritual. So it, right, I'm carrying around all this hurt and pain and bitterness and resentment to these people who had walked away from me and who had abandoned me and who I felt like was causing me a tremendous amount of pain. But I was working the steps. I was going, I was doing everything my sponsor was, you know, do this, do that. I was doing it. I was doing it, doing it. And, you know, fighting this surrender piece, we were working, the big piece on me was control, right? So he he and I were working on this, how do you surrender? I don't know what that looks like as a human being. I don't even understand the concept of what, you know, and I'm practicing, physically practicing surrender, like trying to learn how to write cursive. Okay, I'm physically practicing it, but I don't even know what that means. But little by little over time, it just starts to take. It just starts to take. It's little by little, I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. I kind of get it. And it just keeps getting bigger and better and easier and more understanding with it to a point of, and I laugh about this surrender piece. One of the things that I, I tell people often is that I was really frustrated one day and I called my sponsor. Amazing, amazing guy. I was really frustrated one day about this surrender piece and I was having a terrible day. I was like, nothing's working in my favor. I'm effing sick and tired of this bullshit. And I'm, I'm talking to him on the phone. I said, I don't even understand this surrender piece. I've been doing this all day long. I'm, I'm trying to surrender. He's uh, every day. He's like, we well, got to do it every, every hour. I said, I'm trying to do it. We said, well, you got to do it every minute. I'm like, shut in my mind. I'm thinking, shut up. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked him this question. I said, what, at what point does this get easier? He said, I'll let you know when it happens to me. Yeah. He's like, I still have to do it every day. Holy cow. Now, 
the magnitude of that was just deflating. But what I've learned since then is that it does actually get easier. You still have to do it every day, but it actually it starts to become easier. It starts to take, right? It becomes a way of life. That's the whole AA program, right? That's the whole AA. It's not just a book anymore. It's a, it's a way to live. But the exciting thing about this is as I'm working these steps, somewhere around step between step five and six and seven, God zaps me with some forgiveness on these people. Unbelievable. It's almost like I woke up and God said, hey, I'm going to throw some forgiveness on you for the people that have, that you feel have wronged you. And I'm entering into step eight and nine, which is this making amends. I'm going to have to go talk to him, ask for forgiveness for the things that I did to them. And I'm dreading that. But along the way, these these things, this step, these steps are working the way they're supposed to. These promises are being lived out that says, hey, things are going, going to happen to you that you don't even understand. And it's it's happening to me, which is forgiveness. And I have this forgiveness piece of, and man, you want to talk about lightening your load. Well, that's the unhooking a plow kind of thing in your life, right? Now you're starting to get glimpses of peace and serenity and calm in your life. You're like, well, I don't know what that is, but I want more of it. So now you start working the steps harder, right? That's the natural flow of how this Who thing else works. Who forgive? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So forgiveness it is. I'm in, right? And... um. For a few days, I was like, this doesn't feel right. I'm not even sure if it's true. I'm not even sure it's real. I mean, I've been praying forgiveness, but look, the reality is I had no real expectation. I was so much in pain and hated that entire journey so much. It was like, my sponsor is telling me I should pray for forgiveness, but I don't see it happening. But I just kept doing it. And boom, there you go. I'm going to throw it on you. (laughs) Still this day. I know it seems weird. Maybe for people out there listening, they're like, BS. Okay. Uh, you, you don't have to believe me. I'm just, I'm just living it out. I'm just telling you a story that happened to me. This is the reality of it. If you're listening, maybe I could put this plug in here, Austin. If you're actually listening to this and you're maybe experiencing some of the same pain, try it out. There's a way out. Try it out. See if it works. I challenge you. Yeah. I mean, it's what you got to lose. I can tell you the side that I'm living on right now of peace and serenity is a whole lot better than the side I was living of pain and hurt and bitterness and resentment. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be on this side of it. So in the meantime, I get this forgiveness piece. I start working my program, finishing out some of the step eight and nine. So, right, I'm trying to rebuild my life. God says, oh, by the way, um, a friend of mine, I'm, I'm going to throw something else on you. A friend of mine calls me and says, hey, I know you worked in the nonprofit industry. I want you to come over and run my nonprofit. I'm like, well, let me get through some of my making amends pieces, you know, because I'm going to have to work in the same industry that some of the people that I was mad at and they were mad at me. I've got to do some of that. But... I call him back. I do some of that. Call him back. And he says, uh, yeah, offer still on the table. And so about, let's see, August 1, what is today? September 
two. September first. September first. So so literally a month ago, I took over as the executive director of the Wounded Blue. And that is a national nonprofit program that serves the law enforcement community in injured uh, officers. Uh, Their mantra is never forgotten, never alone. Similar to your mantra that you have here, right? Nobody, nobody needs to fight this battle alone, right? There's way too many of us on this side of it that can reach out and say, it's just a matter of doing things like this, of podcasting out information of saying, Hey, I'm here, you know? Let me know. Let me know how I can help. One I person, am sorry, one person listening is if if it affects them, everything's worth it. Yeah. I wouldn't wish my journey on anybody. And if I had it all do over again, I'm I'm not one of those guys that say, Oh yeah, I'd love for this. I'd I do wouldn't do anything different. Again. Yeah, I'd yeah. do something different. Bullshit. I would yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been, I'd I'd get healthy a long yeah. time ago. I'd have been an accountant. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't change it for the word. Yes, I would. Well, but it's like I said, I got sober at 24. Yeah. Right? And I wish I would have gotten sober seven, ten years before that. So it doesn't matter what age. It's always that, like, I should have done it Yeah. five years ago. Should have done it. Yeah. Should have, could have, would have. Should have done it a long time ago. Yeah. Yesterday well, I think was it's not your last day on earth. That's right. Today might be. But yesterday was not your last day on the earth. That's so right. So why focus on that one? That's right. You know, uh, what is it they talk about? The if you're if you're living in anxiety, you're living in the future, and if you're uh, living in regret, you're living in the past, and if you're living in peace, you're living in the moment. Um, I I I literally have never been this peaceful. Uh, just in, in all things, hey, whatever. It's all, it's all going to be okay. Right? Nothing's that big a deal. Now, having said that, I know the impact of and the heaviness and the weight of what certain things carry. Our culture of law enforcement. I mean, our, our, our culture, our industry is live and die. You know, I still work around officers who have lost partners or loved ones or family members who have lost, uh, their their loved ones to line of duty death or injured and they're forever their their lives are changed forever never to return to a uniform right that's painful we can worry about what happened in the past or we can be anxious about what's going on in the future but at that moment i mean it's this living right now of okay extend love peace serenity calmness to this to this very moment. I know that's some kumbaya shit, but man, what a way to live a life. What's wrong with being, what's wrong with kumbaya? It's actually a pretty it's good pretty place. pretty cool sometimes. Yeah. You want a hug, Chief? Can I need a hug? Well, I don't, I don't want to mess up the microphone. Hey, don't make it weird. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, you, you are one of the people that I respect most through this process. Because no one told you how to do it. But you found a path that worked for you uh, and stepped into a, a position to give back to others. And that's, that's you know, as alcoholics, that's what we try and do. But there's also more. You're, you're impacting people's lives and and doing a great job. And so I, I thank you for coming on. I know it's late. We took your whole day up. No, it's been great. 
lost my I mean, it's, in the it's, rental car. This has been a long day. Uh, it's it's an emotional day. I mean, just it, we were Chief and I were talking about this a little bit before we started the podcast. That that actually this is my first time to return to Chateau since I left a year ago. Now I've talked to and I've kept up with you know you obviously and Ben and uh, Tangi and um, Rana with the Sunday night alums and then the first responder Wednesday night. I mean, I've kept up, but this is actually first time actually returning to Chateau. There's some ghosts there for you. Rough. Yeah. It was rough. Oh, I only the emotion, twice. the emotion was all over the map. Yeah. Right. I, I, we were talking about coming in on river road and I was like, man, I remember jogging right there and releasing demons jogging. Mm-hmm. Right. And being mad. So, it was right now. Like I remember being right there, being I was crying. I was so mad. Was in the middle of a run, right? And these, just this wave of joy and hurt and pain and elation of aha moments and you know. So the emotional of it was a roller coaster of emotion today, just coming back. But man, the joy of seeing that staff. That staff. Oh gosh, that staff is amazing. Nothing but love coming in, oh, it right? Wild. It was wild. Every single person. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. They saw your face. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I cried twice. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. The first time was going in, driving in. I, was look, I wasn't kidding you. I was looking in the rearview mirror, and I was watching you, and I could see your facial expressions. A little, little tear, you know? Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. That's what this is supposed to be about, you know? Yeah, it was... Uh, a, it's hard to put words to that of how great it was coming back and how grateful I am now to be able to and, and the point of Austin inviting me back was as an alumni just give a perspective of hey I've been out a year I've been out a year and the people that are there swing by and give them a perspective of what it looks like a year later you know and yeah. what that journey is and what they have to look forward to and maybe some of the bumps and hurdles that are in store for them. And that, that in and of itself was a pretty cool conversation piece. Well, and so. I, I listening to, to you describe as you've referenced the past 12 months of your life. I mean, the, the question for me is, would you say that in, in all your years and I don't, know how old you are but you're not a spring chicken either just like the rest of us 53 years old 53 man. okay so in 53 years of living okay year number 53 was it the hardest year of your life and if so was it also the most meaningful year of your life versus any of the prior 52 as far as when you take when you say okay i'm cutting the th- I'm, I'm i'm cutting out a 365 day span of my life and there was more pain suffering and accomplishment in this past year than any other slice any other 365 day span of my life yes i know that's a blanket answer but thank you for that's that's eloquently put because yes what i am proud of and look what i've let me paint it a little bit richer picture. What I'm now cautious of, and I hear my sponsor, my mentor, 
and my therapist, three of the closest men in my life who are my accountability piece, Joe Travis and Brian. Their voices resonate in my head all the time about what's your motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? And is it pure? Is it noble? Is it honest to the person in the mirror? Now, having said that, I checked down on this enormous, horrible, horrible ego that I used to have. So when I say that, I'm checking down my own motives and saying, I literally, so, so what I'm saying, remove ego and just me being blanketly honest, I am enormously proud of how much work I've done over the last year. You kind of like the 53-year-old version of Brad. Holy the 52 shit, man. The 51 and the dude in his 40s. It didn't, I didn't do it perfect, and not all things are going my way, right? There's some things that are not going to work out for me, which is okay. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. I've made, I've made peace with that. I don't like it, but you know what? I gave it my best effort. But over the, since August 19, 2021, which is my sober day, I have literally worked my ass off. To be the best version that I am today. Some people may look at it and say. I don't like it. I do not care. <laughs> That's the great thing about learning how to love yourself. I care less and less each day. Of what people think of me. And if you'd asked me that. 18 months ago. I was tremendously worried all the time. About what people thought of me. All the time. All day. Every day. was worried about what people thought about me. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Does that, does that oh, compliment yeah. what you're No, I, I, I've, I've, I've identified that a little bit in my life, too, where it's like, man, every, one of the things that I, you know, and, and it might not be the noblest trait or anything, but it's like the, this ability that I now have to tell, to in my mind, tell people like that to metaphor, go F themselves. Yeah. You know, yeah. versus before, I never even would have dared think that, because it's like, oh, well, why are you, you know... I want you to like me. Right. And now it's like, I don't care if you like me. I'm the biggest asshole in, in my organization. Right. But I'm also the most respected. And that's, I guess, at the end of the day, that's what matters most to myself. Right. Yeah. Versus how popular I am, you know, type of thing. Well, asshole, yes, but also respected. And Pretty I guess I so. can take that. It's a, it's a, it's a continuous growth for me, uh, learning process of how to be honest with the guy in the mirror. Yeah. It's it's a... At 53 years old, if there's anything I would love to go back and do different, it would be, let me learn how to be honest with that guy a long time ago, and then let's have a great law enforcement career, or then let's have a great whatever, you know, fill in the blank. Yeah, whatever. that first glance in the mirror in the morning, now it's, it's like you can tell yourself, good morning, Brad, yeah. versus before you're... That first glance in the mirror, you're like, you son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and starting to be able to like identify yourself yeah. as no, I'm actually Brad, not son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, and I, and, and I can greet myself versus curse myself for, you know, what I did for the past between drinking and blacking out and sleeping it off. Yeah. You know, I'm not ashamed of what just took place for the last 12 hours of my life. For sure. Yeah. And, and let's, uh, I think it's important to point out that this, my life 
in this not being honest with myself wasn't just about drinking. I mean, there's there's a lot of other forms of addiction, as it were, that were related to, you know, bad vices, if you will, that were not just drinking. Drinking right. was the one that actually was the coup de grace that, that broke all things for me. But prior to that, there was, you know, I'm going to rattle off four or five other things that were Same. just terrorizing my life. But looking in the mirror, I'm like, okay, well, nobody calling me on it so i'm just gonna keep doing it yeah or i'm keeping it hidden as long as nobody knows it's nobody knows yeah okay Mm -hmm. right i can if i can get away with that then so be it you know flirting with women or spending money or pornography you know whatever if that's what you're doing at home listeners whoever's out there listening if that's you man it's time to stop be true to yourself Figure out a better way to live. There's no peace in that. Nope. Been there, done that. Love it, man. Well, Brad, thank you. I, uh, it means a lot that you came on, and I really appreciate it. Uh, for those that may be listening, struggling, I do want to give a shout-out to the Wounded Blue. Uh, if you guys are struggling, you can go on their website at thewoundedblue.org, uh, and, or you can also call 725 725- Two two two, three nine six seven. I'm guessing on the other end of that line, it's a non-judgmental person ready to help. Oh, 100 percent. It's one of our team members. Uh, and really, you can find me on social media. If you want to find me on Facebook, you can look me up or uh, Instagram. I don't have a Twitter and whatever, but uh, you can get Wonder Blue on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can run us up the website. There's a lot of ways you can get a hold of us. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can get a hold of me. Pick up um, the damn phone. Yeah, that's, pick up the phone. That's what it is. Yeah. So, as they say in AA, it doesn't weigh a thousand pounds, right? hundred uh, percent. I, in fact, I don't even mind giving my number out. Four zero five two four five five one three nine. It's my cell phone. Look, you need you need a hand? Give me a call. You want to help out of something? Give me a call. Love it, man. Love it. Thank you, Brad. Thank sure. You. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's First Responder Resiliency Program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. 
First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced, immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-2224-19-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.